This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, giving you the opportunity to get involved and make your community a better place for seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Pulling the covers off Canadians' sex lives, I talked to sociologist Tina Fetner about her new book based on a first-ever Canadian sex survey. And age has become a major issue in the upcoming U.S. presidential election. Is it just politics or is ageism the driving factor? But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Junior doctors in Britain have announced new extended walkouts later this month in a bitter pay dispute with the government. Thousands will go on strike in England for a week beginning February 24th, and they are not ruling out further strike action. Just last month, junior doctors in England staged the longest strike in that country's history. For six days, it sparked concerns over patient safety. Also in Britain, working until the age of 71 to earn a pension may become a reality by 2040. A new study warns that without raising the age, the country will go bust with an aging population. The International Longevity Center says the state pension would need to start at 71 compared to the current 66 to maintain the number of workers per state pensioner. Always look on the bright side of life. Former Monty Python star Eric Idle says he's still working at the age of 80 for financial reasons. On social media, the British comedian admits his income tailed off disastrously due to a combination of poor management and shifting tastes. The creator of the hit Broadway musical Spamalot says people assume he and the others in the comedy group are wealthy, but their income was earned years ago in his post. Idol admits working at his age is not easy. People over 75 are among the fastest-growing group of workers in the U.S. Former Dutch Prime Minister Dries van Acht and his wife Eugenie decided to leave life the same way they had spent it during the past seven decades, together. The couple, both 93, died hand-in-hand earlier this month, They chose to die by what is known as duo-euthanasia, a growing trend in the Netherlands where a small number of couples have been granted their wish to die in unison in recent years, usually by a lethal dose of a drug. Van Acht served as Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1977 to 1982. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. On Valentine's Day this week, sociologist Tina Fetner released a book on Canadian sexual practices 
based on the first ever survey of what Canadian adults do in the bedroom and who they do it with. It's called Sex in Canada, the who, why, when, and how of getting down up north. And I started the conversation by asking how we are different from Americans. I think the one thing that is really unique to Canada, and it shows up in these data, is that, um, you know, we allowed people to answer the survey in French or English. And the French-speaking participants you know, did have somewhat different sexual behavior from the English-speaking participants that had sex a little bit more often and a little bit more variety of sexual behaviors when they were with a partner. So how much sex are Canadians having? This is a big question, right? I think that Canadians are having a really average amount of sex. If you look at the averages, you see average. And so we find that about uh, 70% of Canadians have had sex with a partner this year. That might be low. You might expect it to be more than that. But if you think about your entire life course, you might think, oh, well, I guess there are some years when I don't have sex. Maybe I'm having some health problems or maybe I uh, fell out of relationship. And so 70% had sex this year. And then the other thing that uh, everybody wants to know is really how frequently people who are sexually active have sex. And it's also a pretty average number, just a little bit more often than once a week. There are some persistent stereotypes or myths, and one of them being that being married really diminishes your sex life. But that's not true, right? No, it turns out to be not true at all. The singles get all the credit for their active sex lives. But um, it turns out that uh, having somebody that you um, are close with living right in the house with you is really convenient to your sex life. (laughs) Convenient sounds very exciting. Married people, people living in common-law relationships have sex more frequently than single people. Now, how does age play into this? It's a really great question. There's some generational um, differences that we see, but really it is, you know, there's less evidence that there's kind of a steady decline in sexuality. There is a decline over the over the life course in sexuality. That's true. But when we look at patterns of different kinds of sexual activities that people are participating in, the one divide that shows up really clearly is the sexual revolution, 1969, when it all changed, right? The people who are old enough that they became adults before that important cultural moment had more limited, restricted sexual behaviors than everybody who came after, which is, you know, most of the population now. And so it really was that moment that changed everything when policies loosened up, when we became more comfortable with our sexuality, when we became less worried about what everybody thinks. And we see evidence that sex got a lot broader and more uh, varied at that point. Now, we here at Zoomer Media, we champion a new vision of aging, and part of that is sex. What have you found in terms of older people's sex lives? First of all, they're having sex, uh, and that's important to say. Uh, They're very happy about their sex lives. They report very high levels of satisfaction with their relationship and also high levels of sexual pleasure. They have report, you know, fairly good sexual health, although uh, obviously um, diminishes a little bit as we age. 
you know, they're feeling they're feeling good. They're doing it. They're feeling good about it. Does the kind of sex they have change? A lot of women complain that after menopause, it can be uncomfortable and all of that. Yeah, we did ask. Uh, we did ask about um, pain in particular. So we were worried about the sexual health of Canadians and whether pain was getting in the way of people's sexual pleasure. And um, you're a hundred percent right. Um, for men, their um, aging doesn't seem to increase um, much the amount of pain they experience with um, their sexual activity. But for women, it's a different story, and so women have um, to grapple with. Um, discomfort and pain of different levels. And, um, and so, you know, that's an important issue for them. What about straight people versus gay people? This is one of the things that's really great to see through the lens of this kind of uh, bird's eye view of the country. You can see that lesbian and gay communities have developed unique sexual cultures that have been really important in resisting the restrictive kinds of uh, reproductive focused sexuality that, you know, that heterosexuality is dominated by. And so you see a lot more kind of sexual freedoms among gay men, among lesbian women than you see among heterosexuals even today. So how important is monogamy and who is it important to? Well, this is one of the things that showed up very different for our straight Canadians uh, relative to gay Canadians relative to lesbian Canadians, right? And so gay men have um, developed communities where open relationships are more accepted. And so it's not surprising to us that a higher proportion of them are in open relationships relative to either lesbian women or straight men and women. But even lesbian women are uh, more likely than straight women to be in open relationships. And um, and it is something that is the most challenging or unlikely for um, straight couples. But uh, I think that that's something that is starting to change. One of the first things you included in your fun facts was that Canadians love to cuddle. Is that unusual among other nationalities? I don't think it is um, too unusual. I think it is a really nice reminder, though, because sometimes we um, think about sex as like athletic or as scoring. And um, it was really sweet to see that most Canadians like a good cuddle um, during their sexual activity. Tina Fetner, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was sociologist Tina Fetner, author of Sex in Canada. The who, why, when, and how of getting down up north. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, why age is such a big issue in American politics. You're listening to the Zoomer Weekend Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. This week, a special counsel cleared U.S. President Joe Biden of criminal wrongdoing in his handling of classified documents. But Robert Herr, who has ties to Donald Trump and has no neurological expertise, characterized the 81-year-old Biden as a, quote, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. By that point, the president's age was already a widely debated campaign issue. 
Is that partisan politics or ageism? I reached Larry Haas, a senior fellow at the American Foreign Policy Council in Maryland. Larry Haas, thanks so much for being with us. Delighted to be here. So the special counsel who is associated with Donald Trump characterized Joe Biden as an elderly man with a poor memory. What's your reaction to that? Well, he's along with his other comments in the report, seems to be making a medical diagnosis for which he has no qualifications. He does come from uh, with Republican roots, as you uh, noted. And um, and it seems quite gratuitous to me and off target. Yes, but it seems to have had a lot of resonance among the American public. And there's been this very wide and very public conversation about asking whether Joe Biden is too old to run for president. That's true. And I have no problem with a public discussion about whether someone has the qualifications to run for president as long as it's applied equally. Here we have the president at 81 running, presumably, against Donald Trump at 77. Each of them is prone to public misstatements, gaffes, loss of memory, which is perfectly natural, both because of their age, as well as because of the public pressure of being in the spotlight. But I will say this, uh, there are many qualifications to being president, mental acuity, endurance, uh, strength, and most importantly, wisdom. And with age comes wisdom. And if you stack up President Biden against Donald Trump, we have a wise incumbent. But why would you say that this question of age has so much relevance and is discussed so publicly? I mean, if it was anything else, if it was ethnicity or race, it would not be discussed like this. I agree with you uh, to the extent, uh, Libby, that people are applying it as ageism. He's simply too old. Then, yes, I, I definitely see your point. Along with that point, though, I am trying to make a separate point, which is it is fair to ask the question whether someone has the endurance, uh, the strength to serve in office. I have full confidence that Joe Biden does. I think that any loss of memory that is true of anyone, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, who reaches a certain age, is offset by the fact that with age comes wisdom if we're fortunate enough to find a person like that. And it is true of Joe Biden. It is not true of Donald Trump. So, yes, I take your point that in the case of Joe Biden, as currently applied to him, it is uh, a version of ageism and it's very unfair. But secondly, on the more positive side, if you look at the totality, with age comes wisdom, and it is another reason to vote for Joe Biden and not to vote for Donald Trump because they're almost the same age. And with Donald Trump, with age has not come wisdom. Look, you can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, we're in a polarized environment 
And we do have a hard right here in this country uh, that will criticize Joe Biden for anything. It is picking up some resonance simply because it's in the atmosphere uh, beyond the hard right. And so as a result, it has become, you know, an issue. Um, Again, uh, I would say this, Libby, um, I think it is perfectly fair to ask the question whether someone has the mental acuity, the strength, uh, the endurance to be president, as long as you're asking it equally. And I don't see a loss of mental acuity. I see this as a political attack. And any loss of, let's say, strength or endurance uh, that comes with age uh, is true, uh, whether of Joe Biden or of Donald Trump. So I do believe that these are unfair attacks. They are not in a larger context. They do not take account of all the criminal charges against Donald Trump and all the outrage and all the ignorance and all the histrionics and everything else. So uh, to the extent that you're asking me, is it fair? Not the way it's being applied. It is not fair. Are you concerned, though, about this manifestation of ageism, Uh, It's crept into Nikki Haley's campaign, and you have an aging population. I'm concerned about it, certainly, you know, in the short term, in terms of whether it actually will drain votes away from Joe Biden in what I think is a crucial election. Uh, That's number one. And yes, we are an aging population, uh, and it has all sorts of implications in terms of, you know, mandatory retirement that we see, which I think is inappropriately applied in in many ways. And we need to come to grips with the fact that Americans, and in fact, much of the Western world, is getting older, and people, as they age, have, uh, you know, they gain wisdom, they have experience, they have different things to offer while they can still, you know, be productive members of society. And to the extent that we have a legacy of ageism, both here in the United States and elsewhere, we are going to suffer from it because of the fact that we are an aging population And we need to accommodate this in a positive way, not in a negative way. Larry Haas, thanks so much for being with us. Nice to be here, Libby. That was Larry Haas of the American Foreign Policy Council. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. With technical production by Ian Robertson. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.